Welcome back to the Heat Check Podcast. I am your host, Chris Patrick, and with me today are my beautiful co-hosts as always. We got the big DOS stunt double, Michael Benjamin. What's going on, man? What up, what up? How we doing, fellas? Doing good, doing great. Happy to have you boys back in studio for this live recording. And of course... Our third chair here, Hollywood Browns lawyer, VSP Tallman. Got him out of any fine, just some hours served in the jail cell, huh? Yeah, that's right. You know, didn't even have to pay the fine. He's $473 richer. How you guys doing? That's incredible. And anyone knows that Hollywood Brown definitely needs that $473. (laughs) That probably would have bankrupt him, but... Guys, it's been a little while, a little over a month uh, since we got got together here. We've been doing some live streams, having a lot of fun over on the Valley Sports Plug YouTube page. So anybody who's listening on audio only, make sure you check us out over there or you're missing out on a lot of content. We try and put as much as we can up uh, on the on the streaming platforms, the uh, audio only streaming platforms, but sometimes uh, it's not always able to. We got some short videos, Michael Benjamin's over here throwing together, so Man, uh, just we're going to get into some topics tonight. Of course, we got to talk about the the big three teams we always discuss: the Diamondbacks, the Suns, and the Cardinals. Um, also had some March Madness performances, some Arizona teams in there. We're going to talk about how they did. But I I just wanted to to point out that we're coming up on exactly one year since we relaunched Valley Sports Plug on April fourth. Will be the anniversary of when we put our first podcast back out there for you. So just. In that spirit, reflecting on it, Mike, I'll pass it over to you first. Uh, how are you feeling one year into Valley Sports Plug? Feeling really excited about the trajectory and, and the hard work that we've already been put in, been putting into this. You know, super appreciative of all of our friends who have been hopping on to our live streams and joining us. You know, we're only three guys who know so much. So we love to see different perspectives from others in regards to some of our favorite teams and some of those other teams, you know, like yesterday we did our 2023 MLB preview and we had Raymond and Ian come on. We call them our resident Yankees and Dodgers, you know, aficionados. So it's always cool to see those kind of perspectives. But, you know, really excited. We're coming down towards the end of the sun season. So our final recaps will be coming out soon. We're going to start doing Diamondbacks biweekly recaps, you know, heading out to some games. I know we were already talking about maybe playing hooky and going to a, yep. a Wednesday day game. So just keeping it flowing, man. You know, the beautiful thing about Valley Sports is that we have all the major teams. So there's always something going on. Big facts, man. And on top of the professional teams, we got some good college teams out here in the state that are competitive as well. But Tom, I wanted to give you the floor real quick. If there's anything you wanted to say about your your first year relaunching VSP and, and how you're feeling. Yeah, happy anniversary, guys. Oh, thank you. Oh, I wouldn't want to spend it with any other two. You guys are incredible. Oh, my goodness. Um, It's been a great time. Um, Time flies when you're having fun, right? And that's it. Yeah, I think that's like the most important thing, like you guys both said there. We're, We're having fun doing this. I mean, if you look, we've grown to a little over, I think, 120 subscribers on our YouTube channel. 
from what I see on Spotify, um, people are tuning in over there as well. So thank you. If you're listening to this, thank you so much for riding with us. We only want to continue that growth, continue to offer you more content and our opinions more than anything on Valley Sports. And hope that I, I hope that in this year we continue that trajectory and want to hear your feedback. So in, in the YouTube comments or you can email us, uh, valleysportsplug at gmail.com. We want to know what you guys want to see. If, if there's something you don't like that we're doing or you want to see more of, uh, let us know. It's it's all part of the interactive experience. And uh, Tom and hates when I do this, but I got to plug the, the socials. You got at AZ underscore VSP for TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, and Valley Sports Plug on YouTube and Facebook. And uh, yeah, guys, let's go ahead and get right into it. Um, like I said there, we had some Arizona teams, uh, college teams in March Madness there. ASU, U of A, and GCU uh, were all unceremoniously eliminated, I think a little bit earlier than than we anticipated. Maybe not so much for ASU and GCU, but U of A going out, what was it, the first round, Mike? Went out to Princeton 59-55 in the first oh. round. Ooh, they got outsmarted. That was a two. That was a 15 seed over a two seed? <laughs> mm-hmm inexcusable oh uh, yeah yeah mike and that i want to let you talk on this because that's your alumni right there sure yeah <laughs> well, you can give them to me if you want yeah it's you know even going through the pac-12 tournament which they eventually did win over ucla there was just some causes for concerns that i was seeing there was just too many lackadaisical you know efforts on the defensive end and just not enough consistency on the offensive end, and you could specifically talk about Kirk Creasa. I mean, my goodness, one for seven, one for eight in that first round matchup against Princeton. You know, he's entering the portal. He's no longer going to be a part of the program, but those kind of guys who had kind of helped you solidify being one of the, you know, top 10 teams in the country, when they don't come through for you when it's the biggest stage, you see what happens. But it's still inexcusable for any two seed to be dropped by a 15 seed and only score 55 points they weren't ready to play and it showed early and I know Chris you know we had our big text chain that was going back and forth and we were just dumbfounded by that last five minutes and the offensive sets that were going on and you know they got bounced so we'll see what happens next I'm not going to blame Tommy Lloyd or the coaching staff but you got to get your guys ready and just continue to build the program from there so we'll reset and figure this one out I guess yeah and that's like that's really all you can do it was really cool to see you know those teams in the in the tournament to begin with but to to bounce out so early you would would have hoped especially from U of A to to see a bit of a, a better performance I mean I know personally I think I had U of A being a final four team what you got Tomlin Oh, I thought you were. Oh I, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying yeah, I had them as a final. Yeah, four team so too. you got them as a final four team too. But yeah. and we saw ASU lose to TCU by just two points. Where wow, I think most frustrating game I've ever watched. Oh my goodness, we were sitting there at the bar, um, looking like in the even late into the second half, like ASU might have had it in the bag. And I know you can never count your chickens before they hatch, but. God, I mean, what's more disappointing for you, Tallman? I mean, I know you're not exactly a, a Tucson fan by any means, but was it more disappointing seeing U of A lose to a 15 seed or seeing ASU win that play-in game and then lose ultimately just lose to TCU like that by two points? So you're asking me if I'm disappointed <laughs> watching U of A get embarrassed yeah, that's a bad in question. the first yeah, round he's of the NCAA tournament? No, that was incredible to watch. Um, obviously, ASU, that was... I mean, they had all the momentum in that game and... 
they were the better team and they just gave it up at the end and it's too bad you know it's too bad um but no i loved <laughs> loved watching u of a lose even though um i gave them some props in the bracket but uh it's asu all the way sorry michael no that's all right maybe asu used up all their superpowers in that game against nevada with the shellacking you know Man. 25 point win and like you said it was almost kind of another similar situation that happened with u of a like down the stretch they just faltered and they had a pretty nice lead pretty much throughout the entire first half going into the last four minutes and they faltered down the stretch it was tough but you know you give props to all three of those teams u of a asu and gcu for starting to put arizona more back on the map for you know stating this is a basketball state man you know we're going to continue to get good recruits and obviously we'll see what happens with the pac-12 and gcu is kind of its own entity as a private school but to see all of them represented is awesome but now the next steps have to happen you know we got to start having one of these schools make a sweet 16 run or do something else because it can't just be we made it hip hip hooray and then get embarrassed in the first round well, exactly. And I think that's like what what it really is for me is like almost like this huge swell of excitement. Like, wow, we got three teams in the tournament and then to just have them all bounce so quickly. And to be fair to GCU, I think they had the toughest hand dealt to them having to take on Gonzaga in, in their first round matchup. Um, but still a 12 point game. I mean, for a team like Grand Canyon being the 14 seed against a powerhouse, you could I think you could call them at this point in Gonzaga, the, the three seed. Um, you know, props to them for, for competing and even making the tournament. Uh, I think they just, they won't, they haven't even been eligible for the tournament for that long, less than five years, if I remember correctly, but hopefully we'll continue that momentum and, and start seeing this become a, a perennial thing where we have two, three teams. And I, I think Tallman was even telling us like NAU almost made the tournament if they had won their conference, right? Yeah. The big sky conference, they lost by like two points, I think right at the end. Crazy. Yeah. If they would have won that game, we would have had all four major schools. If you can call NAU and GCU a major school in Arizona. It's division one. Yeah. Yeah, We'll call them that. We'll give them their props, right? A little bit. In the state. Okay. Yeah. Statewide major schools. Almost had all four. Right. And, and before we get off the topic of, of college basketball, I also I, I just two things real quick. I want to shout out that ASU did extend Bobby Hurley. He'll be back as ASU's head coach. Um, like Mike said, Risa entered the transfer portal. Good riddance. Get him out of here. Um, but guys, what, what are you thinking? Like the final four is set. It's going to be UConn versus Miami and Florida Atlantic taking on San Diego State to, to set up the final here uh, this coming Monday. I believe the game is. Who do you, who do you got going into the, the weekend? I think at this point I'm leading towards UConn. You know, Dan Hurley got some ties with Bobby Hurley, his younger brother. So Nogo is just a stud. And the other crazy thing about this Final Four is that three of these four teams are having their first Final Four appearance in school history. So I think that's pretty awesome to see. Obviously, they're not the top of the top, the cream of the crop, and that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? But it's also cool. It's Dan Hurley's first Final Four appearance as well. So uh, I'm I'm still leaning towards them, you know. But San Diego State, they had that crazy game against Creighton where they just had the ball bounce the right way for them. And that foul, guys, it, it was a foul, okay? We're, he got pushed. We're not going to go there anymore. But FAU, 
their coach, Dusty May. He was a former student manager at Indiana. So that's, you know, some cool information for you guys. And then Miami, I found it surprising. It's actually their first Final Four appearance as well. Really? Yeah. Coach Jim Laranaga, he did take George Mason uh, to a Final Four about 17 years ago now. But Miami, if you think about it, they might have um, a higher combined age for their team than like the Houston Rockets. They have a lot of those like transfer older kind of guys. So I'm not surprised that they made a run. Exactly. Um, But they had a great comeback against Texas, who I know Tallman had picked that was going to be sneaky good uh, in the tournament. And Tallman, I'll give you your props, man. I think you were the only one who made (laughs) the right calls when we did our predictions and whatnot. But We'll see, man. Saturday can't come soon enough. I'm excited uh, to see who makes it to this championship match. You mentioned you mentioned te- uh, the Texas Miami game there, Mike. We were watching a lot of that together, and when we when we left the bar we were at and and went our separate ways, Texas had a 10 point lead on Miami. So I was kind of writing them into the final four, only to find out a couple hours later that Miami came back and beat them by seven. So that that says a lot about this Miami team and their mental fortitude to even with a double digit point deficit to be able to come back and overcome that. Tallman, what do you what are you thinking though? Are you do you you agree with Mike that UConn might be the the top dog here? Oh, they're definitely the top dog. I mean, look at all their games throughout the tournament so far. I mean, they've killed everybody. What they did to Gonzaga that was like criminal. Basically, they beat them by like twenty five or something. So they haven't had a single tough, close matchup throughout the whole tournament. And to think of some of the teams they're going to be, or the teams remaining, I mean, they're obviously the favorite to win it all here. Um, what I would like to see, though, is our possibly new addition to the Pac-12, San Diego State, you know, make a little run to the final, right? That'd be cool. You know, get a little, uh, get that exposure, and then next year maybe they join the Pac-12, and that's that would be a great addition for uh, the Pac-12 basketball programs to have San Diego State just make that huge run. Um, but I don't know. Mike said I was talking a bunch of, you know what about the finals? I mean, is it or the Final Four? Is it? I don't know. Is it bad for college basketball? Do you guys think where you don't have any of those? big blue blood you know type programs you know alabama's out duke's not in it kansas is not in it north Car- uh, north carolina just took a big shit this year yeah you know so it's like is it bad for college basketball that you have some of these teams where like you mentioned they're all older se- juniors and seniors it's, yeah you know they're older teams honestly um this might be controversial, but I think it's almost the opposite. I think it's really good for college basketball because, like you mentioned, those powerhouse schools, Duke, Kentucky, UNC, they've become known for having a lot of one-and-done players where these guys will play one year after high school just to use it as a jumping pad to the NBA, whereas now you're getting almost better basketball by having more experience, you know, guys in their early 20s rather than a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds making these runs and having a kind of like revolving door of talent come through the school. I mean, at least from my perspective, I I think it is, uh, you know, I always like a Cinderella story where I think FAU is kind of filling that role this year. Uh, we did see though with San Diego State barely scraping by Creighton in their matchup. I mean, if, if a couple bounces went a different way, uh, it, it could have been it could have been a different win. They only got that that by one point. But but to answer your question, and, and I'm curious what Mike says. I I don't think it's bad for for the game at all. 
I think the tournament is just a different type of entity as well. Because, you know, if you're not like a college basketball hoop head, most of the time when the tournament starts, you don't know who these players are. You barely know what schools have been doing good. I mean, like what we were talking earlier, FAU was what? 32 and 5 this year like that's 35 and 3 so even better that's an incredible record and and you're calling them Cinderella story too they won 35 games well right but Conference (laughs) USA isn't known for having the most talent I know I just had to throw it out that's fair so I it's just a different entity like the March Madness tournament is a spectacle in its own so I think it's good to have some blue bloods in there right because you know for the average fan, they're like, oh, yeah, I know my Kentuckys, I know my Dukes, I know my Kansases, but, you know, I don't think it hurts it either because we're still going to watch because these games are so nitty-gritty and these guys are literally leaving everything on the floor. And these are going to be some of the best basketball games that we have coming up because these are the teams that have put it all together in this stretch run. So they're playing their best basketball. So like Chris said, you're probably going to see some of the best basketball that we can this late into a season. But yeah, man, the the landscape of college sports in general is going to be changing. And you can see it's already started to change now just with these NIL deals. You know, guys are going to have more incentive to stay through more years unless they're known to be you know a high top 10 draft pick in the nfl or a lottery pick in the nba and that kind of stuff because you can look at guys like arch manning he's making 2.4 million dollars and he hasn't even played it down for texas college football yet it's the last name obviously it's the last name but right we're starting to see more of these kids who are like on the swimming team or this or that and they're making good deals i mean tallman who was that one guy that you were talking about that made uh 800k oh i don't know his name but some kid on florida atlantic he had some or had some big nil deal you know unless Ah. that guy knows that he's gonna go to the nba or go overseas and make some good money it's probably more incentive to stay in college because you can continue to you know cash those checks while you're still at school and then those programs continue to build and grow from there. So I think it's, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, we want the Blue Bloods, but I don't think it hurts the game to have an FAU go this far. And that's also something that we're probably going to see within years to come as well. You know, those George Masons. Chris, who was your favorite one? The Golden Retrievers. That yeah, we UMBC, I think. You know, we're going to see more schools like that make crazy runs in these tournaments because they're going to have older guys who you know, have built camaraderie with their squads and are are built for this time of year. So it'll be interesting to see the landscape over the next couple of years. No, absolutely. I agree. And I'm excited for this Final Four. I think it is that aspect of not having one of these perennial powerhouse schools in the Final Four makes it kind of, in some ways, an in, in open, in open uh, whatever you want to call it, open, I'm fucking it up, I might cut that out, but uh, it's anybody's game. I, I mean, I think UConn is the pick. Um, that's probably, if we were to do a, a Final Four bracket, that's who I'd be picking, but we'll see this weekend. I mean, we'll know here pretty soon by next week, and uh, we'll have to talk about it probably on our, on our roundtable we do next week there, but... Man, we went a lot longer on uh, this college basketball topic than I really anticipated. So let's roll right into this next subject, which is the MLB opening day is today as we're recording this on Thursday, March 30th. The Diamondbacks just started their game and I was trying, I was looking on Bally's, looking on 
on uh, YouTube TV, and I'm not seeing the game being broadcast anywhere, so I just have absolutely no idea where this game is being played. But they're taking on the Dodgers. They started that game um, as we're recording this. And uh, I'm just really, I know, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I'm going to speak for you guys. I think we're all excited for this young core in this D-backs team. Uh, in the past year, last year we made progression over the previous year, and, and this year I anticipate us doing the same. So right off the top of, of this, along this line of us being a sneaky good team, potentially, or, or improving team, Tallman, let me let me ask you this. I think I asked you on the on the stream last night, but do you think that the Diamondbacks will reach 500 Yes, we're gonna win eighty-five games. I like that is that. my prediction. I De- like that a lot. Okay, maybe eighty-six, maybe eighty-seven. But yeah, we're we're definitely. I think they're gonna they're gonna pull off a couple win streaks. I I feel. And oh man, they already got two on in the top of the first. Look at that. Let's go, man! I mean, a lot of young talent from Corbin Carroll to help me out, Mike. <laughs> Jake McCarthy, Alec Thomas, Gabriel Moreno, Gabriel, Gabriel Moreno. Moreno. Yep. Even though he's kind of been thrust into the position with the injury with Carson Kelly, but yeah, there's just a lot of promise with the youth on this team. And Jordan Lawler, Jordan Lawler, he'll, and, pro- he'll probably make an appearance later in the season. And obviously, I think the firepower will come with time, but it's still going to come down to the pitching staff and the bullpen. Uh, excited to see Zach Gallen finally get his, you know, just desserts in that opening day start. Unfortunately, Merrill Kelly did falter in the WBC Classic, but he's another guy who had a pretty solid year last year, so he's going to be expected to step up. And it looks like we scored a run already, so let's go, baby. <laughs> Christian but, Walker. You know, the expectations is always continue tr- your trajectory up, right? So... We had what a 22 game improvement last year, uh, you know, from 2021. So we got to continue to make those steps and hopefully push for a wild card. It's going to be so tough though with this NL West, man. The Padres are stacked, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. Uh, even though we're winning right now, I love it. Even though Longoria, you know, hits into yeah. a double play, yeah. but <laughs> giving you Longoria. some play, giving you some play by play action here, but. You know, I like the additions of Glorious Goriel and Gabriel Moreno. You know, we'll see Kyle Lewis at DH as well. Do do I don't mean to cut you off. Did you guys know Kyle Lewis won Rookie of the Year in 2020 for uh, the AL? I did not, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? What? I had no idea he he won that. Obviously, he uh, struggled a little bit after that and was able to get signed for a one year, one point six million dollar deal with the Diamondbacks. But hey. He's got some accomplishments there. We'll take it. And then, you know, I think the biggest exciting part about the majors this itself this year is the ability of all these teams to play everyone. And I just think that's going to open up competitive advantages for some teams. You know, like the Dodgers won 111 games last year because they got to play the Rockies 25 times and us 25 times you know what i mean like i was already talking about this last night i think it was after stream but we're playing the dodgers eight of the first 10 games why how does that happen major league baseball like come on guys let's figure that one out and i know they're working out the kinks with that kind of stuff but 
that shouldn't be happening to start a season. You're basically getting all of those out to start. I mean, teams are just still kind of trying to figure out who they are. So I'd love to have more of those matchups down the line, you know, in August, September timeframe. But very excited, man. Very, very excited to see what this young core can do this year. And that could even though that could work to our advantage though, being able to play the Dodgers so many times early in the season where they're still trying to find their footing. Like we were talking about with Raymond, I mean, they're a team that's kind of trying to figure it out and didn't have quite the off season that we expected. I mean, they they lost Trey Turner and a few other key pieces, Justin Turner, the Mr. Muppet man that Cody loves so much. <laughs> But that was mean. It's not to say though that they don't have pieces. Obviously, they added a guy like Freddie Freeman, who's an incredible player, and they still have pieces, right? Don't get me wrong. Cody Bellinger was another one they let go, but he had been having a few down yeah, he's seasons. Hot and cold. Yeah, I, I mean, saw him hit a home run on Sunday. Did you? Yeah. Valley kid though, like I mean, we we love to see the hometown guys doing well, even if it's on the Dodgers. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did I see that David Peralta is in a Dodger uniform? Yes, he is. Disgusting. That is gross, dude. Freight train. Dude, I feel like that happens so often, though. You know, like, J.D. Martinez was only here for a little bit, but he's on the Dodgers now. Like, A.J. Pollock. A.J. Pollock, yeah, that was who I was thinking of. You know, that's just, it seems like it's inevitability. At least Goldie didn't end up as a a Dodger. Thank goodness, yeah. Stay in St. Louis. Even though it's in the NL, stay over there. No, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, honestly, um, out with the old, in with the new. Peralta was was reaching his mid to late thirties, and he had a lot of productive years for us. But uh, baseball is really a what have you done for me lately kind of sport. And if if you're not producing, especially at a high level, like sorry, bud, like it's it's time for you to go. And I know that was a hard move to make, but when you're talking about how much you're gonna pay a guy, um. I would rather save the money for a guy like Corbin Carroll, who could be here for the next 10 years or longer, depending on how things go. Now, I don't have the figures in front of me, probably should, but we just threw a pretty good bag at Corbin, right? It was uh, $111 million, eight years, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Eight years, one eleven. I'll take it, man. That's like a steal, to right. be honest with you, with some of these contracts that these higher profile guys are getting nowadays. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. And and to pair him with guys that are already fairly well-established, I mean, when you're talking about the offense, like Cattell Marte has been here for a while now. Christian Walker, I thought he was a younger guy, but he's like, he's 30 or 31 now. And so it's the new guard, man. It's the changing of the guard. And so I want to, I'm curious to see how, how they do. Uh, I think our bullpen is going to play a big part of it we still have the the big con melanson in in the bullpen (laughs) i think he's injured to start the season but we got i keep saying it we got the sheriff back i'm a big andrew chafin fan i think he's clean shaven now though isn't he uh i don't know that's good that's a good question i don't know but tallman i know you're you're what you predicted 85 wins potentially is that 84 84 let's go 84 84 now yeah. okay yeah is, is that enough to get us a, a wild card spot potentially Ooh, oh no probably not i would say no no mike no i don't i, I want to so. be optimistic so bad but so do i but i also yeah go back to my predictions for the cardinals and i'm not doing that anymore you know what i'm saying <laughs> i think they're gonna be 11 and 6 <laughs> right i think as, as for me as long as we continue to improve and improve our record over last season i'll be okay with it 
Uh, I know Tori Lavello was under a lot of scrutiny, uh, especially last season with kind of how it's been disappointing the past couple of seasons. You know, we went from having a exciting playoff contending team in the Paul Goldschmidt era with Zach Greinke and all those guys to now the questionable decision of bringing in Madison Bumgarner, who's been a bum, and 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 moves where we've get, gotten rid of these guys who've been the face of the franchise. So it's almost like we're going to talk about the Cardinals later on here in the podcast, but it's almost like we were in a rebuild, and now it's like, are we coming out of the rebuild, or are we still are we fortifying? We're fortifying. And you mentioned Bumgarner. If they didn't owe him so much money, he wouldn't be on the team right now. True. Story. But is that the point? Right. It's, you can't at the get point rid of where him. It's, if, even if you cut him, it's you still owe him the money. Might as well keep him on well, and, and cu- see what he can give you. Cut him, and what could you trade him for? Like no one's you'd trading. have to eat some of that money. Yeah, they, no they, one's trading. You you know, obviously we haven't heard anything. There's no rumors, but you know they probably shopped him. I mean, how do you not? But to have somebody as established as him as your third rotation guy, I mean, let's see what he does. You know. Um, and then I didn't realize that Merrill Kelly is actually older than him. That's what's so crazy is, <laughs> but he debuted way. Bumgarner has been so yeah. had been so successful with the Giants for so long. Like you just assumed he was almost forty years old. Yeah, but like thirty six. I think he's pretty close to Mike's age. Yeah, he's like thirty one, thirty two. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, Madison Bumgarner was a stud. He was, you know, an ace on those three World Series championship teams for the Giants, but. He's at the end of his time frame here, guys. Like that's the truth. So yeah. I'm okay with slotting yeah. him in in the third spot in the rotation. He had, he, you know, that's middle of the pack, right? Let's see what you can get out of him. Maybe he goes kind of 500 with his record. That'll be okay. It's definitely better than what we've seen from him so far. Yeah, but he's better than your your guy in the fifth spot. So I mean, right? If you if you got investment in him, don't have anyone better than him then, I mean, you're kind of stuck, right? So uh, we're, we're stuck with him, unfortunately. And we'll see what comes about from the farm system and whatnot. And I think that still the biggest question mark is going to be that bullpen, right? You know, we had all of yeah. those, like, what, 0.300 winning percentage where we were winning or tied after the sixth inning. And you could basically mark it in that we were going to find a way to blow it. So you can bump that up to 500 whatever you know you're going to win 15 more games and the whole thing about this year is let's make sure we're not out of it in at the end of may you know let's yeah be trying to possibly fight for a wild card spot towards the end of august and playing through september that's all you can ask for because we already understand those top two teams with the dodgers and padres there's one wild card spot right there yeah. So it's an uphill battle, but as long as you're fighting towards the end of the season and maybe some lucky bounces go your way, you know, that's a win as a whole, I'd say. Without a doubt. I mean, and that's that's what I was just going to say and I'm glad you brought that up. I think for me the goal would be to at least to shoot to finish third. You're not you're probably not going to beat out the Dodgers, you're not going to beat out the Padres, but beat out the Giants and beat out the Rockies. That's an achievable goal. Record aside whether we're 500 or above, I think beating those teams and staking your claim is important as well as getting building the camaraderie, getting these young guys the playing time and the exposure to where a year Two years from now, maybe three years from now, we could finish second or even have lofty expectations of finishing first. 
we we were talking to Raymond in in the season preview about the Shohei Otani sweepstakes and there's a lot going to be a lot of teams, you know, going after him. And I think the Dodgers are a team that definitely has potential because Shohei wouldn't even have to move. He's already in L.A. playing for the Angels. Uh, but he's going to be chasing a big bag of cash, about $500 million of a contract or more, probably more, if we're being honest. Uh, I don't want to get too, you know, into Shohei Otani necessarily, but it's going to be an interesting season and I'm really excited for it. Like, like we've been talking about, we did this live stream last night. So if you want to hear more baseball specific commentary, go ahead and check out that live stream. We did that video is posted on our YouTube channel and the audio is on Spotify. But before we get off this baseball topic, guys, I was hearing today, I don't know if it was um, Ken Kendrick or uh, Derek Anderson who went on one of the 98, seven shows today and was saying that within the next two or three months, they're going to make a decision on, what they're going to do with Chase Field, whether they're going to stay or go. Uh, Talman, I'll ask you first, should they stay or should they go? <laughs> should I stay or should I go? Um, I did see that today too. Um, is his name Derek Anderson? Yeah, I think that's the GM, right, Derek? Oh, it's... No, it's... Derek Anderson was He was a quarterback. Pitcher, <laughs> yeah, right? Well, Derek Anderson. Yeah. And I think he was a pitcher for the Diamondbacks in the 2001 uh, World Series team. It's something Anderson, oh, though, isn't geez. it? Right? Oh, I just read it, too. Uh, anyway, um, they, they got to stay, man. I mean, uh, Mike Hazen, you already said that. Um, they oh, got, I did not say Mike Hazen. Uh, yeah, Mike Hazen's is a GM. Um, they got to stay downtown. I've. It's just... I mean, come on. I mean, we Derek all. Derek Hall. Derek Hall. Yeah, there you there go. CEO. You Derek said Hall. Derek. Anderson. So I had the Derek. Or I had Derek the Derek. Anderson. Right. I was like, whoa. <laughs> hold on. All right. Derek we Hall. know sports here. We know sports. Yeah. Hold on. Um, but I mean, we, we all grew up in this city. It's like, it was a thing to go downtown, to go to Bank One Ballpark, Chase Field. I mean, it's, it's iconic in the valley. And, you know, going downtown, you got. Uh, footprint center where the suns play you got chase field Diamondbacks it's, play it's prime real estate yeah down there. oh and it's it's fun down there too and then to think of them to go out oh we're gonna build a stadium somewhere else in maricopa county and spend even more money than on just renovating our current home they're gonna go build a stadium out you know like the cardinal stadium where there's gonna be nothing around it for the first four five years or something and then and then finally, you know, Cardinal Stadium, they built Westgate and all that stuff around it, and there's stuff to do. But, you know, it's just you're in, like you said, uh, Chris, you, there's prime real estate. They got to stay. It's iconic. And it's downtown. That's where you want to be. I don't I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to stay down there. You're absolutely right, Tom. And to, to do a complete renovation, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to be able to salvage that. And again, off stream, we were talking about how cool is it that there's a pool at Chase Field. Like, I think it kind of started maybe as like a joke or something that people didn't take seriously. But now it's kind of like a staple. It's one of the things we're known for. And whether it's having fans out there in the pool or hitting a home run into the pool or being angry that the Dodgers are celebrating by jumping into our pool, it's iconic. And there's a lot of things I love about that stadium. Yeah, you can talk about how the the capacity is way too big. There shouldn't be 43,000 seats in that stadium. So I think part of a potential renovation should be blasting 10,000 seats out of that stadium and doing something cool with it. I mean, that's what the Suns did, right? They transitioned pieces of their arena to basically kind of like 
you know, a bar area or just like a lounge area where people can come grab a drink, talk and still see the game. Sure. You know, we can are we can talk about what the Coyotes did. If you're talking about going somewhere kind of out within Maricopa County or in Glendale or just outside central Phoenix for uh, to, for 80 games that people have to attend to and then you're trying to ask people to go to a Wednesday day game out in Santan Valley I mean good luck you're going to find the same type of issues that happened with the Coyotes where they had to go more towards I, I would go don't, don't say it Tallman don't, <laughs> don't say it Tallman you're, you're going to find the same issues where the Coyotes found themselves going more towards a centralized location that's closer to downtown Phoenix because it's still a hub of the Phoenix metro area. It's very accessible. Right? Yeah. So, and obviously, I think we're still waiting to see what happens with the Coyotes. I know that they did the votes to move things forward, but I don't think anything's official. And it's going to be... city of Phoenix. Yeah, there's a challenge from the city of Phoenix. And yeah. it's going to be years away from that, but like at least there's a, a, a silver lining that can be found at the end of that. If the Diamondbacks leave, you know, you're going to still find those same type of issues, man. I'm telling you, but I'm with you, Chris, get 10 K seats out of there. I mean, but it also like for a season, it depends, right? Because it's hard to get continuously packing those stadiums when you have that many games. Right. But it also helps when your team is good and is a winner. Right. You see with the Suns right now, they're on like a 50 plus sellout streak. You know, people are buying tickets at $300 a pop to go see the Utah Jazz on a Tuesday night. But that's because the Suns are great. And there's also only 40 games within the season. And it's in downtown Phoenix. It's more centralized for people to go to. So you got to stay there, man. Invest the money in the ceiling. Fix those. Fix that crap. Whatever. Take out seats. Do what you got to (laughs) do. Instead of spending more billions of dollars to break ground on a new place, which... Who knows would be successful or not? I think that would be the wrong move, Tommen. Were you gonna say something? No, no, go ahead. Okay, Sorry. so I think <laughs> I, I've had a lot of time to think about this and, and and gotten some real interesting perspective. And and let me know if I'm being Captain Obvious here, but the Suns are a little bit of a, of an outlier when it comes to talking about the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks, and the Coyotes, where the the Suns have been here since I think the 60s or 70s. 1967. Yeah. There you go. 1967. So they're established. Anyone who grew up here during that time period was a Suns fan. Whereas these other teams rolled in here in the late 90s or so. And all these people that grew up here were had to be fans of other teams, whether it was the Cowboys or the Dodgers or, or the Steelers. And they passed that down to generation to generation. So like Ian pointed out last night, um, you know, about Shohei not wanting to go to New York or maybe not not wanting to play for a big market team, but being on the Angels, which is a big market. But it's not a big market when you talk about the actual what they're considering the market of the team not the market of the city because if you're talking about the market of the city that's the Dodgers they they hold a monopoly on that in Los Angeles and it's the same for Phoenix like that's why we always sit here and scratch our heads and I know I've been guilty of saying it in the past is how are the Suns a small market the Phoenix is like the fifth biggest metropolitan area in the entire country but it's because there are so many transplants and these people don't have love for our sports teams it's the fair weather nature of it to where sure they we might be the second favorite team of a lot of these people they'll be like yeah i'm a yankees fan i was raised a yankees fan always have been but when the diamondbacks are doing well they'll go out to a diamondbacks game fuck yeah so it's just how i think it's gonna take decades and it's gonna take generations 
before we really see diehard D-backs fans like us, because we were all born and raised out here in the Valley. We've been D-backs fans since we were kids. But what's crazy is the Diamondbacks weren't even here when we were born, technically, you know? I mean, am I off base with they that assessment? They weren't even a team yet. They weren't even a team yet. I think 97 is when they broke down on the, or 96, they broke ground on the stadium. 97, yeah, 97 was the inaugural, inaugural. season. No. 98. 98 was the inaugural think, season, so it might be flipped that, 7 and then I think you're, you're on to something for sure. I mean, because none of the teams can compare to the Cardinals. It's like there's so many diehard Cardinals fans, and they make such a, what, what am I looking, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's a, a whole day thing to go out to a Cardinals game. You know, you tailgate, there's all this other stuff, you know, it's only, you know, on Sunday, right? So the Cardinals have no problem selling tickets. Exactly. Right, can, yeah, eight games a season. Yeah, Fuck yeah, yeah. You'll they make can, the day trip they can suck. You make a whole day of it. Yeah, they can not win a home game for 10 games in a row, whatever their shitty streak was. Um, but they're still going to sell tickets. doesn't matter. But you're right. With the Dimebacks, it's like they just struggle with that passionate you know, fan base where we can sit here and say, yeah, we're – you know, we're D-backs fans and all that, but I didn't go to a game last season. I haven't season. been to a game in probably two or <laughs> yeah. three seasons. And I'm so we're the say. ones to blame at the end of the day. Um, but no, it's you're absolutely right. How, why haven't we gone? Because, I mean, I would jump at the first opportunity I get to go to a Suns game. Why? Because they're, they're good and they're relevant. And we got Kevin Durant. They're making splash moves. They're doing this and that. We are we're self-inflicting the self-market uh, name or the term. small market, yeah. We're doing that to ourselves in a sense of ownership and how much money they want to spend on the team. I mean, if they sat, sat out there and they shelled out five hundred million like the Texas Rangers did in the last two years, don't you think if we if we signed uh, one of these big names and signed someone else and did whatever, we've been actively trying to build this team, and that- we would we'd be like, shit, let's go to let's go to the. The first game, first home game. That's a fan- I can't wait to see these guys point. play. The, that, that's the thing, though. There's no salary cap in baseball, so it just comes down to how much the owner wants to spend money. And Ken Kendrick has shown that he wants to be cheap, and he wants to try and moneyball it in a big... I, I Again, I know I'm saying it's not a big market, but like Phoenix is a big market where you can make money in other places in the stadium and surrounding areas. I mean, Mike, I'm, are we off base here? No, you guys are right. But also at the same time, like if you're going to stay at Chase Field, there's a lot of renovations that need to be done. That's a lot of extra money. So I'm sure he's trying to hold on to the piggy bank for that kind of stuff. Well, they said they wanted to shell out the money to do it. Well, and do like the Suns did. Make make a deal with the city of Phoenix yeah. where they pony and, and up some money exactly. for it. And I think um, what uh, Derek Anderson would say. Derek Hall. Derek Hall would say. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, was they wanted to pay for most of it. Right, you know, like they're like, hey, we want to stay here. We want to rebuild this stadium and make it like it used to be, one of the best, you know, stadiums in baseball when it first opened. But I don't, I don't know. What the, I guess we're going to find out in a month or two. Well, and I think that's crazy. Like, like Mike, you're pointing out. Like, I think since the building opened in '98, it's had very minimal renovations. To where I don't know if it's still the case, but in the last two years, they wouldn't even open the roof with fans in the stadium because it was too still, dangerous. It's still like it's that. still like that yeah. because they're afraid the cables, these 20 year old cables, are going to snap and cut someone's head off. That's embarrassing and we we just saw that we were ranked like the 26th 27th 27th, worst stadium in the league that's horrible you know what the best stadium in the league was was pnc park out in pittsburgh oh please was it really hey we might get a chance to go to a pirates game uh if we if we make it out there later this year it depends when the cardinals are playing the steelers yeah if it's in september early in the season if it works out be going on dude imagine freaking cables like 
chopping people up. That's like ghost ship. That's a deep cut for you. That's like some final destination. (laughs) Today is your day. Enough about the the Diamondbacks stadium chopping people's heads off. Let's let's keep it let's keep it moving right along here. We got the Phoenix Suns right. They're about to be in the playoffs. They're currently fourth in the West, a tight Western Conference, especially when you're looking at those last you know five six teams. But we got six games left Uh, tomorrow. We'll take on the Denver Nuggets. Um, so if you're listening to this five, that's, I think five games in April that we're looking at, but Kevin Durant finally made his home debut here, uh, yesterday on Wednesday night against the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he didn't quite have the sexiest performance. He was five of 18 from the field, scored 16 points and, and had a couple three pointers mixed in there. Sound sounds like, uh, or looks like rather that he kind of found his stride, uh, late there, but, uh, better late than never. I mean, first game back, finally able to play at home, didn't roll his ankle in pregame. Mike, what do you think our chances are of making a deep push here? Dude, it's honestly crazy to see the ridiculous ebbs and flows this team has had. I mean, we lose KD, and it's like we forgot how to play some ball, man. Like, <laughs> you know, another losing streak that we're seeing and just struggling. But within that time frame, we didn't lose any ground in our seating. We've been in fourth place basically this entire time. And now we're starting to stack up some wins, but these last six games are still going to be crucial. And we have to play the Nuggets twice. You know, last game of the season is against the Clippers. That could be a deciding game because right now we're only half game in front of the Clippers for that fourth spot. But... You could tell KD had some rust last night. I don't think he had his first actual basket made until about five minutes left in the second quarter. But he had some big shots down the stretch. And that's the guy that we're going to need. I mean, dude, I'm telling you, man, if all four of these guys aren't healthy, Aiton, Paul, Booker, and KD, I think you count us out. Like, you know, we already saw with losing one of them, obviously KD, you can argue, is the biggest piece other than Devin Booker we could barely stay afloat and I've been very happy what Booker has done this past month I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the NBA player of the month for the Western Conference but it's all up to them man it's all up to staying healthy and you know I'd love to get a playoff series at home to start and then you know the West is so wide open we've had so many conversations about this but you know those top three teams don't really scare me I know we lost to the Kings the other day, but that was a choke job by the Suns. You know, I don't know what you're going to get out of the Memphis Grizzlies yet. I still think they're they're a little bit young and still trying to truly find their footing. And then the Nuggets, until they can prove that they can do anything in the playoffs, I just don't trust anything that they do at this point. But, you know, we could see, you know, if we stay in the four seed, we win that series. One of those top seeds might lose to you know the six or seven and then we could have another series with the home court advantage and i'd love that so gotta stay strong down the stretch here i think yeah finishing strong is going to be a huge factor i I more or less agree with what you said there mike i think that if chris paul went out we could probably still survive and be a competitive team uh in in the west and in, in the nba i he i know he is our big our point guard obviously and he controls the pace of play and to some extent, I do worry about his backups. I mean, campaign is not a solid guy by any means. He's probably one of the most inconsistent players on this roster. And I think just talking about inconsistency, that's one of the things that makes me the most nervous is our bench. Guys like Tory Craig, TJ Warren, um, 
Terrence Ross. These guys aren't always the most consistent when they're getting their minutes to where Monty has had to kind of try out a bunch of different rotations to see what sticks. But it's going to be it's going to really come down to who can stay healthy and who can be available. I think that having KD back is the catalyst for us to be able to make a push in this playoffs because you're right, without him, we just look pretty pretty helpless all in all. But we did have some some big wins with that that win against Philadelphia, Utah, and Minnesota. Three wins in a row that we we really needed. I don't want to say desperately needed, but that's kept us in the fourth spot and and trending towards being a top or a higher seed in the playoffs where we we should have uh home round a uh, home series to start the playoffs what do you think Tallman? Ooh, i i want to the one thing that jumped out to me of what you said i don't know um about chris paul i think they need chris paul i mean he does his he, yeah he the game runs through him but i mean when he pulls up and does that uh little you know 14 foot jump shot he makes it 95% of the time when we need a bucket I think it's huge, but one player instead of Chris Paul, I think they could do it without DA. Uh, you need Booker, Durant, and Chris Paul to, to all stay healthy as long as we have the three-headed dragon. I, In my opinion, I think that's absolutely what they need. I don't think they could do it without Paul. So you trust Bismack and Jock to hold Doesn't down the center matter. position? Because Paul, Paul can make his shots when he needs to. He can get Durant and uh, Booker the ball, and then he can play the two-man game with whoever the big guy is down, down low. All he's got to do is throw some tall guy underneath the basket, the ball, and he's got to take a step and put it in, like he yeah. does with Durant, or excuse me, with um, uh, Aiton. So I don't know, guys. It's what are they? What was I just looked at the standings? What fourth, they, right? They're, they're yeah, they're fourth, but the sixth place team is only has a one less win than them. Yeah, like it's it's so crazy. Has it? I don't think you guys are the basketball guys. Has it ever been that tight before? I just. I mean, I, historically it's, it's speaking, crazy. And, I'm sure it has, but right. No, go yeah. ahead. Well, no, I'm just saying I've been watching ESPN and all the dudes on there talking about the NBA. They're going crazy. This is our nuts po- or a postseason run or whatever. It's just, I don't know. I I just think it's a little scary. I think Durant came back at the perfect time. Um, but oh, Devin Booker, man, I, I think he's he's just a stud. And he showed it again. I mean... With Durant on the floor, like Booker just gets so much less harassed, and he's able to play his brand of basketball finally because he has that superstar to take some attention away from him. And it, I mean, the three games or now four games he's played with Durant, he's had some of the best games that we've seen all season out of him, without a doubt. And I think that's my point, though, with with the fact that I think we can survive and be competitive without Chris Paul is because Chris Paul's not taking any attention off Devin Booker. Kevin Durant is the guy that takes the attention off Devin Booker. And sometimes, in my opinion, having the offense run through a 36-year-old or 38-year-old point guard, however the hell old he is. In six weeks, he'll be 38. Right. So 38, there you go. (laughs) So it slows down the pace of the game where I get it. He's your point guard. He's the point god. You want him to be able to facilitate the offense, but it's a fine line between him you know, running the show and almost maybe hindering our ability to have a quicker, more efficient offense at at times where I think he's trying to set something up where KD and Book could just make it happen using their basketball instincts. I mean, Kevin Durant's not a young guy either. I think he's 34 or something like that. So he's getting up there, but he's a seven footer. He's a 
point forward without a doubt. I just think I, I kind of agree though. Like I would rather, don't get me wrong. I'd rather Chris Paul be healthy because I don't trust our backups. I don't trust campaign campaign. Yep. So yeah. Who do you trust more campaign or Jock Lindell? I'm not saying, Oh, someone's going to get hurt. I mean, hopefully they all, they're all healthy right now playing right. Healthy. Yeah. Quotation marks. Uh, uh so, so you're, you're basically posing the question of, would I rather Chris Paul or DeAndre Ayton yes. go out yes. if I had to pick in, one and in, to, to trust their backup? In a right? playoff series, yeah. In a playoff series. Um, no, that's a great point. Um, I think I'd have to say I would trust Jock Landell more than I would trust Campaign. So losing Ayton, in a sense, wouldn't be the end of the world. And I think a lot of that, though, is more of a referendum on DeAndre Ayton and his, his inability to be consistent Absolutely. as a starter. Because I can almost live with an inconsistent bench player or guy coming off the bench but you can't live with an inconsistent starter and that's what DeAndre Ayton's become if we're being honest like he's that double double guy sometimes where he's putting up 25 and 12 but he's also that guy that'll put up eight and six in in 35 minutes of play and you just can't have that from your starting center it's he's in such a tough scenario man because with Booker and Durant they both command the ball and they're going to be taking 18 to 20 plus shots a game so that's just less touches around I mean you look at the game last night he played 29 minutes and he's still coming back from an injury but he takes nine shots like the whole point was supposed to be he's going to be getting so many more easier looks but the Suns have just struggled to find a way to implement him truly within the offense and like you guys said, I mean, on the offensive end, you really don't need him, right? Because Booker and uh, KD are just two high prolific scorers who can score at any spot on the floor where it's just the cherry on top with DeAndre Ayton. But the biggest thing that I was hoping for was his impact on the defensive end. And it's still the same song and dance that we've had for the past couple of years where it's about he picks and chooses when he wants to bring the energy and when he wants to make the right play or, yep. you know, it's just, it's getting old, man. And I know I've definitely been one of those guys who's been a proponent for DeAndre Ayton and saying I think that there's still, you know, a next level that he can go to and I'll always still hold hope for him. But once again, the same conversations that we had before. It's year five, and the dude like is just still trying to see what's going on on the floor. Yeah, and he doesn't impact himself. Like he doesn't truly make his presence known as a dominant force, and that's an issue for a guy who was taken with the number one overall pick and given a max contract this off season. So, future, you know, if we look into the future. Honestly, man, I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns work to try and ship him out this offseason and if he's even going to be part of these uh, future plans for the Suns. But, yeah, I mean, the whole bench unit has been inconsistent. We did start to get better stints out of Terrence Ross and TJ Warren, specifically on the offensive end in our past couple of wins. Campaign has done a little bit better as well. But you're almost just always like, well, what? it's a matter of time before. Streaky they're going to have just some weird decisions and then they're going to go off of a cliff for a five game stint. And that's just what you can't have in the playoffs or else you lose. So, uh, the, the last thing is thank God that Durant wasn't out for the entirety of the regular season, because if you're trying to bring him back, I know we've talked about, he's the perfect plug and play guy, 
that's great, but you still need to build camaraderie on the floor. And now to have seven games or, or six remaining games to do that gives you more confidence going into the playoffs that this team is going to be able to gel and figure it out and make a, a really, really deep playoff push where I think when it was announced that KD was coming back, the Suns' odds jumped up to the number one to come out of the Western Conference. So a lot of people are with the Suns, and I, I'm just hoping and crossing my fingers, man. That's it. Well, right, and you saw, I think, on the national media stage, Jay Williams, Colin Callard, people like that, soon as KD comes back, they're all singing the Suns' praises again. It's just like we saw with when we made that trade to get him. They automatically put us as the number one or number two team to win it all. And so I think it, KD is obviously the catalyst. We can have these conversations about if we don't have Chris Paul or if we don't have DeAndre Ayton. But you're absolutely right, Mike. Year five, it's not unfair to compare DeAndre Ayton to the other guys that were big names in his class, specifically um Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Those guys are leading their teams and are the best players on their team. Shea Gilgis Alexander. Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton is maybe the third best player on our team, probably the fourth best player, and that's that's not saying too much at this point. Yeah, he got the money, yeah, he got the contract, but we gotta see more from him. And I think this this playoff run, this postseason, mm-hmm. is gonna be a chance for him to really prove himself and and prove that he was worth it and that he can be a part of this team's future post CP3 post Kevin Durant or even with those guys but we could talk about that we can talk about that all night and we're going to talk about it more as we record our April episode of the Heat Check podcast and our live streams and just a few more things I wanted to talk about with the Suns a big point of contention and and topic has been the fouling and the free throw discrepancies that we've been seeing where Monty Williams even made a comment in his postgame interview complaining, I'm not going to mince words, complaining about the, the discrepancy. And it's not, in my opinion, unfair. And a lot of people like Dan Bickley are going to say that the Suns need to just stop complaining and they need to be more aggressive and that we're being punished for being the mid-range mafia and that our game isn't so much inside. But I, Mike, I, I know you. I, I want to pass this back to you. Like, is that basketball where you're forced to have to drive the lane and go at the rim to get these foul calls and have teams shooting 30, 40 free throws a game? Like, that's not basketball, in my opinion. No. And, you know, there's always been that preferential treatment for your stars. And, like, we're talking to was that specific game against the Milwaukee Bucks where Giannis himself outshot the Phoenix Suns from the foul line. I think Giannis had 24, and the Suns had 16 attempts total in that game. And Monty had came out and basically said, Drew Holiday, one of the most physical defenders in the league, and Booker's only getting three free throw attempts? Ridiculous. How is that possible? And I love <laughs> I love those people who say, you shouldn't complain, you shouldn't complain. I think there's a way to approach referees about calls. And there's times where you just have to stop looking like a crybaby. Like Luka Doncic does a lot of the time. You know, mm-hmm. There was times where within the past two weeks, Booker was doing that same thing. But I think... They almost kind of had a come to Jesus moment where they were like, okay, we put our grievances out to the air. Monty got his fine. And from that, we've kind of started to see a shift with that in regards to, I wouldn't say better officiated games. It's just been more even, which is what you're hoping for. That's all you want, really. At the NBA level. You know, these are the best players in the game, man. You can't tell me that 
one team really fouls more than another. Like these guys, to some similar extent, are at a level playing field and are the smartest players in this game where they understand where they can get away with some things. And then there's like clear hacking fouls and that kind of stuff. But I love the people who say, don't complain. Well, hey, Monty complained. It looks what's happened the past five games. It's calmed down. Look what uh, Fred Van Vliet did again for what was what was the guy? Ah, uh, we, we talked Ben Taylor. Ben Taylor. Yeah. yeah. What happened funny. with him? They literally cut part demoted. of his. They demoted him. And they cut him. Yeah. So it's like well, I don't know. Maybe complaining sometimes does do something, but obviously that's the last thing you want to do. And I have started to see that Booker has started to shift his approach towards officials which is smart too because you know you're talking about an older guy in this league you got to figure out a proper way and proper etiquette to approach officials because the age-old saying with referees is man let me tell you these guys have egos and that will never change man referees have egos especially at the highest level so if they don't like you they might not come out and show it directly but like on the back end sometimes that they might just hold a whistle or they'll push push things against you so they're human too and you got to approach them the right way no absolutely and I think I I hate to give Luka Doncic the benefit of the doubt because you're right he does complain more than any player I've ever seen in NBA history literally every single play he complains about not getting a call or something this and that but we saw earlier this week where he got his what would have been his 16th technical of the year and a and a suspension but they ended up rescinding it after Mark Cuban dis- disputed it but I I got to admit man watching I don't know what he said to the ref but watching it it looked like he was going up for a jump shot felt like he was fouled looked at the ref and shrugged and said something and then turned to go down the court and the ref teed him up man it's like at what point are the refs trying to be a part of the game and trying to get some sort of attention it shouldn't be that way like you're there making good money as an official as an NBA official and I honestly, I I don't, maybe I'm speaking out of pocket, but I think some of this has to go back to Adam Silver being not a great um, commissioner of this league. I I just don't understand how he's not going to try and improve the game in that regard. Yeah, he's done a good job of growing the NBA brand globally, but when it comes down to these types of things, like how are you not addressing it? And, And maybe he is, like we say, maybe we just don't see it. Like you pointed out, I think his name's Ben Taylor. He got demoted. But why is Scott Foster still in this league? Why is Scott Foster an NBA referee? Well, that's a big thing, too, because he was part of the freaking scandal with uh, Tim Donahue. Tim Donahue. He had a lot of text messages where with they him. had like a whole bunch of calls. And, yeah. and it was sort of during it was like right after games that he would officiate. And then all of a sudden, when Tim Donahue was kind of like brought up on charges, like all those phone calls stopped. Like, do you think that's just a coincidence? Like, my guy was just giving Tim Donahue a call after every game to be like, hey, how do you think I should have called that one? Like, come on, folks. It's probably if, did our bookie place the bet right? If you can, if it smells like dog shit, there's probably some crap somewhere around. You know what I'm saying? Like, how 100%. is that? How is that just allowed to be like swept under the rug? And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, whatever. But if you want to consider or keep up optics, that should have been an easy call. I don't care how great of an official Scott Foster is or has ever been. If he was in the same vicinity or had any kind of dealings with Tim Donahue and in that case and it was ever a doubt, 
Get him out the league. Get, yeah, right. Get you're, him out the league. You're telling me there isn't a vast pool of officials that you can hire another referee to officiate NBA games? Like, it's not – you're not keeping Scott Foster because there's nobody who can replace him, right? Like, what What the fuck is going on? It, Tom, are you familiar with, like, the Tim Donahue stuff and, all, and everything that happened there? Yeah. They had some documentary on Netflix. I watched that. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. I enjoyed it. Um Ah oh, man, so it, it's such a bad look for the league because you have players. Great point. You have star players out here, you know, not getting a call, losing a game because of it, holding up his uh, holding up his hand, doing the money gesture. Luka Doncic, granted, he paid for it with a fine, but he's basically implying that the the refs are paid. And then you have all these other um, NBA personnel that are saying the league is rigged to a certain extent, which. You know, that's such a bad look. I mean, I'm not sitting here at all saying I don't think the league is is fixed at all. I mean, it's or, not at all. Not even going to say it. Um, and then going back to the Suns, you have Devin Booker coming out saying that the refs have an agenda against the Suns. You know, he thinks that they're not getting calls because they don't like the Suns. And is it because they didn't like Robert Sarver? I've heard that, right? The punishing yeah. Sarver, yeah. Yeah, because they didn't like Sarver. But then... You know, then you have all of um, everyone else coming out saying, "Well, the uh, the Suns players are just complaining. The Suns coach is just complaining because they lost the game, so they're fine. They're blaming it on officiating." And going back, you said people like uh, Bickley was like, "Hey, you guys need to stop complaining and just move on and play." I kind of feel that too. And then uh, the game last night, Devin Booker shot more free throws than the entire team they played. He got all those calls. So is it? I know. I know. We said we're not conspiracy <laughs> theorists. But is it a makeup? Is he getting the makeup calls? Is he finally getting those superstar um, calls like, you know, Giannis? Like we watched just before we started streaming. You know, you sat there when uh, Giannis drove the drove the lane up to the, the rim, and you're like, how is that a foul? Man. No, no one barely touched him. And they got waxed by the Celtics. They didn't oh, even look like yeah, yeah. they should be an NBA team. They looked like oh, they should be competing was, in the Final Four That right was now. brutal. But back to the Suns, it's, okay, so when we lose, we're, we're going to blame the officials because – we shot 20 free throws and the Lakers shot 46 or 45 or something in the the one game they played. But then when we win and there's... Not a peep, right? Yeah, but obviously we shot more free throws than the, the Timberwolves. But I don't know. I mean, it's you you can't put too much on officiating. You know, if you, it's in every sport. I mean, these people are human. And then if you're going to go out and do a Fred, uh, do a Van Vliet and, you know, say whatever this and that, I mean, it's a bad look. You know, but hey, something you got to do, right? He got he got demoted for it. I think he also blew another call. I forgot what the team was, but he blew didn't call a foul in mm-hmm. the last, and it just it was it decided the outcome of the game. And I think that's when the NBA was like, "What you know, we gotta so shut this shit down." That's a great point. I guess it shows you that they are taking a look at this, and yeah. they are seeing when the officials are not making these good calls. And and the two minute report has been a huge thing these past couple seasons. But Mike, it's no consolation to hear the day after that they missed a call that could have changed the outcome of a game, right? I wish the two minute reports would just be shredded or burned. <laughs> Keep it in. Internal. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. Send it to your refs. See what mistakes you made. Adjust from there. But I don't need to see it because what you know we had some of those early in the year as well. I think that Trailblazers game where 
um, oh my goodness, what's his name? The big guy with dreads, uh, Jeremy Grant. Mm. He like traveled into the final shot where he made it, and they said, "Oh yeah, it was a travel." Well, you didn't call. It. Are you gonna rescind the game and then basically wave that off and give us the win? No, you're not. And would you want that? No, but then, so right. what's the point? But keep it internal, exactly like you said. I don't need to know about it, and I don't care. Um, yeah, obviously, at the end of the day. Teams don't lose because of officiating. They lose because of not adjusting to what is being officiated. And that's what the whole game is about, man. You have to make adjustments on the fly. And if you can't see that, you're going to lose games. And that's what the Suns had done the past couple of weeks. But officials are, you know, they're human just like everybody. So we'll try and give them the benefit of the doubt. They're just the easiest punching bag at the end of the day. I mean, like you guys saw, freaking... JT Real Muto is freaking pulling his glove back because the pitch before the guy the the <laughs> ump had thrown the ball to the pitcher and the pitcher was like oh I don't like this ball so then he tossed it away and then Real Muto had put his glove back and then was like oh wait he he threw it back to him before so then he moved his glove while the pit, while the ump was trying to put the ball in his hand and then he tossed him immediately did you guys not see that? I, I I didn't. I heard about it, but I didn't watch it. And now that you're explaining it, that's absolutely it was fucking go- ridiculous. It was the goofiest thing, and it was just because the guy thought that he was being disrespected right there. So they make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, but the team has to adjust at the end of the day. Yeah, that's excessive for baseball. Imagine if uh, the NBA was officiated like baseball, because in baseball you argue you can't argue balls and strikes. If you argue balls, balls and strikes, you're out well, we, right away. We saw that college game where the two well, egregious yeah. did you oh, pitches. That was horrible. I just saw, uh, I just saw something where the guy said he was getting like beat, the referee or the referee, uh, the umpire was getting beat up the entire game because that that call was in the ninth inning, mm-hmm. and he said he just wanted to go home. Uh, I think he got fired. Um, he definitely. I know. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I wouldn't be fired, surprised if he also. But he came out fired, and was like, but... he just wanted to leave um, the whole game. He had like the fans were uh, like screaming racial slurs at him, and I, oh. believe, I believe he was black. And he said he's never been in that uh, scenario before, where he was just so uncomfortable. Um, he knew he mismanaged the game and said he shouldn't have called that, but he said he just wanted to leave that. So that was his response. I mean, if that's the case, that's too right. Yeah. Oh, terrible. But. But I mean, you don't, you don't. Uh, that just makes you want the electronic strike zone. On it, like, <laughs> yeah, honestly, and I think the, honestly, these two sports are the only ones where we really see the the officials having so much of an impact. Are basketball and baseball because the NFL rules are pretty black and white, and there's the the deciding plays are usually reviewable. Oh. Well, I mean, what we had the holding call in the Super Bowl the Super this Bowl. year. Yeah, that was. That was a huge call. or lack thereof. And yep. then you can even go back a couple of years ago. That same non call. In the Saints Rams, the Saints, yeah, NFC Championship they, uh, game. They made a but those are really one off comparative to the two sports. I'd say yeah. because yeah, you can um, can't you uh, challenge pass interference now after that? I think Sean Payton made such a big poo poo about it. They you know voted on it at the owners meeting or whatever, blah blah blah. So I think you can do that now. And this past, they just had the owners meeting um, here like last week, um, and they decided not to vote on uh, roughing the passers. Uh, roughing the passer calls being able to be uh, challenged or reviewed so that's another one you know like oh tom brady if you even well he doesn't play anymore but if you even sneezed on tom brady you got called but then if you're some backup you can get smashed and beat up and abused and you don't get the flag ever that's true so but the super bowl one is crazy that 
oh man, that ref probably had the biggest balls to ever throw that flag in that scenario where the game could potentially be on the line in the Super Bowl in the last, what was it, like the last three minutes, two minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, man, you got to have some balls to throw that flag. And it was a penalty because the dude came out, uh, I forgot his name, was Bradbury, came out and mm-hmm. said, James, he said, yeah, that was... Uh, James Bradbury? Yeah. Yeah, the cornerback for the Eagles. Yeah, he came out and said it was a penalty, but... yeah. So all all's well that ends well, but let's let's talk football here. I mean, you mentioned wow. you mentioned Sean Payton, the the former Saints coach, now the current Denver Broncos coach. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, of course, but uh, I, I know we haven't seen what Gannon Jonathan Gannon has done yet for the Cardinals, but and it's not all on him. I I mean personally, I'm not very impressed with the direction the Cardinals are heading, but. I guess I'll throw it to you first, Mike. Uh, Would you have almost preferred we get Sean Payton over what we're stuck with now in Jonathan Gannon? No. I mean, it's so early in the tenure. We're still trying to figure out things. I mean, we haven't even got to the draft yet, but this could be showing the cards in regards to what the true plan is for the Cardinals this year. I mean, sorry, guys. I think it's a tank year, even though we don't want it to be. You know, I mean, yeah. The biggest thing with that is you're missing your star quarterback to start the season, and we really don't know how long he's going to be out. And with the signings that we've seen, especially at the quarterback position, bringing back David Blau, like, what's the plan? You know, and it doesn't seem like the plan is to really win games, which is always a tough thing to see. But, you know, you're looking at this list of free agent new guys that we brought in. You know, Kaiser White has his ties to the Eagles. Same with Zach Paschal. We got Josh Woods, linebacker from the Lions. Chris Barnes from the Packers. Finally got some cornerback support with Rashad Fenton from the Falcons. And then we just kept some kind of like special teams guys with Zeke Turner and um, Corey Clement. Did bring back Kelvin Beecham and Antonio Hamilton, but this is almost like we're in the position of it's a a throw-it-out year, which is always tough as a fan. But we just have so many holes and so many things to figure out. And I know that you guys were talking about, like, do we even have a playbook yet? Kind of odd, but, you know, when you were behind the eight ball with the hiring itself, it's going to take some time to figure those kind of things out. So good thing is we do have time to – so – Right, and we're still we're just like four months away from the start of the season and preseason, and we haven't even had the draft yet, which is happening later, uh, coming up in April. I just I don't know, man. I go back and forth on Gannon. Like at first, I really didn't have a good first impression of him. If you go look at our TikTok, he had that psh, 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 weird interaction shots. shots, explosive with um who was that? That was um. Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore. There you go. Thank you. Um, and so kind of a weird, kooky guy, but he seems, I, I mean, I, he seems at, at at first glance like an improvement over Cliff Kingsbury, who just seemed like a deer in headlights his entire time with the Cardinals and really emphasized his awkwardness on hard knocks and really his, I, I would say, his inability to be a head coach. I just, I don't know, though, like, I start to get turned off when he says that he didn't see or hear the comments Kelvin Beecham made on Kyler Murray needing to grow up. How could you not see that? How did nobody text it to you and be like, hey, man, did you see this? Like, 
you have what 52 guys on your roster or or whatever more during the offseason but how do you not know these things especially when those comments were made while he was still technically a free agent and then we re-signed him shortly thereafter and the only guy that defended Kyler Murray there was Hollywood Brown who is appears to be a bit immature in his own right so it sounds like the sentiment is there that Kyler Murray needs to, and excuse my language, mom and dad, he needs to grow the fuck up. <laughs> Tallman, do you do you disagree? No, no, I don't. Um, and I, I like the way that Beecham put it out there. And I know I said this before when we talked about it on the stream. I wish he would have done it more internally, sure, rather than going out and doing it on a you know prominent radio station here in Arizona. Um, does he absolutely he does he needs to be he needs to be more accountable for um what he what he does i mean he's the face of the franchise now and he has been and he hasn't been acting like it so i think that's what um Beecham kind of meant by that is and he could have worded it differently but sure you know and he's got the leadership but he needs to really step up to the next level and be that guy in the locker room be that guy for the franchise you know, I, yes, yes, he does need to grow up. He needs to be more of a leader. Yeah, I, I and I, I'm sad that we're not going to see a full season this year of him having the opportunity to do that because part of me believes that he does have it in him. Kyler Murray has shown the ability to compete at every level he's played at so far, but the criticisms, in my opinion, are justified. He th- He's thrown temper tantrums. He's given up on his team at certain times. And quite frankly, he's underperformed in this league and for this team so far, despite having, especially last year, a handful of offensive weapons at his disposal. Granted, you know, Zach Ertz was injured last year, but Trey McBride had a great rookie year. You had other options. You have DeAndre Hopkins. You had Hollywood Brown, Rondale Moore. These guys aren't slouches, man. And I want to talk a a little bit here before we finish out about if we're even going to have DeAndre Hopkins at this point or if we're going to be trading him or part of a, a, a maybe a draft day trade. But more broadly about this team, Mike, you brought up, is it a tank year? It absolutely is a tank year. And they've shown that with their offseason moves. It's You can't tell me with the signings they've had so far that they're trying to be competitive at all. They're not. No, and you can even talk about the talent that we had who were going into their free agency with Zach Allen and Byron Murphy. I mean, two guys who probably signed under market value of what we thought especially byron murphy only getting about 11 million a year from the minnesota vikings and we're talking that we can't pony that up that must have meant that they're not part of the future plans for monty Osenfort and jonathan gannon which is an odd thing i know we've talked about it's always good to keep kind of those homegrown valley guys within he oh, got so he got less, less than 11 uh, 11 million What is that? 2 years 17.5 million? Yeah, 17.5 wow. 2 years. So they were obviously not part of the future plans and they're still trying to figure things out. I mean, what kind of offense they're going to run. You know, they got in their offensive coordinator so late and you know, Jonathan Gannon is a defensive-minded guy, but Yeah, those ones are always tough to see. Like exactly like I'm saying, Byron Murphy, 
17 and a half million over two years. You're telling me we couldn't do that? Well, you know, we probably did, though. He probably didn't want to be here. That could I mean, come be on. A he, too. he was, he probably didn't want to, he probably saw the, the bullshit and dysfunction going on with the Cl- the Cliff Kingsbury era, and he's like, "I'm out. I'm going to go to the Vikings, where they treat their players good." And he was, and sick. they have, they don't have a, you know, dysfunctional coaching. Staff. And he was sick of having to pay and have his meals deducted from his <laughs> paycheck. Well, but that also doesn't mean that those things weren't going to come to light and be changed in the future because of these new NFL reportings. Fair. Like, you think that's going to happen next year, guys? You think that these guys are going to have have to go in there and pay for a cup of coffee? It can't happen now, or Bidwell just looks no. like a fucking idiot. Or else, if that yeah. co- happens next year, then you're talking about losing even more free agents that you possibly could sign. You have to make adjustments after that. Like they have to go in there, they have to fix the training facilities, they have to do all that kind of stuff because it literally has been posted around everywhere, and now there's a reputation that comes with it. So in the future, unless you're drafting guys and keeping them around if you want to be able to sign your jj watts not at the end of their career but guys in their prime coming here you got to make those adjustments but it's just crazy to see like oh man i keep coming back to byron murphy the guy was he was an arizona kid man he went to high school here like you can't tell me he doesn't have extended family here and even though there would be some kind of dysfunction you're getting that out now you can make those adjustments I still yeah, have a feeling it came down to, to the win. dollar signs. Well, I don't know about I, that. You, you don't, don't think, think we wanted to pay him 2 years 17 million? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like that's, that's easy. How Come could on. the Cardinals not want to do that? They're not paying anybody else. Well, they haven't paid a single I mean, person. Maybe, they maybe, have a ton of cap room. Well, how would you not pay that? But guy? maybe it's that they don't want to be competitive in the next 2 years. Well, so, no, so why see, waste that, the money on a guy who's going to so, be a good quarterback? So okay, so with the whole competitive thing, look at the Jaguars. They were like 2 and 14. And then the next season, they were, they had a winning record. So f- football is one of that sport, one of those sports where you don't have to tank for multiple years. You know, you don't even have to tank for a single year. It's that type of sport where if you put the right guys in the right spot, you have the right person calling plays, and they're not fucking Cliff Kingsbury. Maybe <laughs> you can figure it out. So there's no tanking for multiple years. Well, at least now we have an OC, right? Well, yeah, and then. Also, yeah, we we, talk, we didn't really um, put out there the playbook. You know, your two backup quarterbacks want the playbook. Where's the playbook? Oh, they're chomping out the bits to get the playbook. Give it to them. No, just worry about getting in physical shape. You know, that's that's all you need to worry about right now. Dude, the offseason program starts April 11th. That's in less than two weeks. At this point, I consider Colt McCoy our starting quarterback. Yeah, no, he when, is. And... and when we're not when we're talking about not getting Kyler back to the middle of the season, I get he's coming off an injury, he's rehabbing, but it just goes to show you there's no urgency to be competitive in the league this year by slow rolling him. And and this is another topic I want to roll into here and and have you guys t- talk to me about is with Kyler Murray maybe only playing half this season, I think this is a chance for Jonathan Gannon to evaluate him and see if he really wants him to be the franchise quarterback and, and the guy that he sticks with. Or if we end up, God forbid, trading Kyler Murray, do you think if he plays seven or eight games that that's going to be enough of an evaluation period to decide if we keep Kyler Murray? Yeah, it's enough of an evaluation period because the guy already has three years of tape. I don't I, think you need more than that, really. I don't think so. I mean, he's he's going into a new system, 
a new playbook. But Cl- Co- and he's Cody, not even, the whole reason we got him was because of no, Cliff Kingsbury, I, I and that was his guy. Yeah, but you always knew that work. You always knew. Okay, so you get Cliff, then you get uh, you get Kyler, and then okay, so who are we gonna who we got to see one of them without the other? Obviously, it was always going to be Kyler. Sure. So now, so Kyler going into a new system. And he can't even start day one in training camp and do a full training camp under that system in practice. You know, he's going to miss the first nine games, eight games, I'm sure, right? Oh, yeah. And then he, then he comes back. Even then, say um, he miss, all right, say he misses eight games. We're two and six. They're not going to rush him back. He's not going to be, oh, I can't wait to get back on the field to play for a team who our season's already ruined. Two and six so, is generous, in my opinion. Yeah, but they're not going to – let's wait till we see the schedule. It might be 0-8. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but, no, he's not even going to rush back. He might miss the first 10 games. And then when he gets back, he's not going to risk his health at all in any of those remaining games of the season. It's not fair to him in a new system, doesn't even get to go through training camp. He can't even participate in the off-season program and actually do – he can't even practice with the team. You know, it's not fair to him. He's going to need, and, and it sucks because it's always, let's always find an excuse for Kyler to. And that's what you're to, doing. No, 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 no. Okay, so two different sides. Yes. <laughs> I'm not yes, willing to give him the benefit of the doubt like I understand. you are, Talman. I understand. Because last it was, oh, well, uh, Cliff Kingsbury really did not help develop him at all and didn't do blah, blah, blah. So Cliff Kingsbury held him back. With a that's ton our, of stars around him, that's a ton our, of weapons that's around our, him. Yeah, but, I mean, it all starts at the top and it trickles down. And it all starts at the top where it falls apart and trickles and crashes to the floor. So first excuse was Cliff Kingsbury. Our second excuse is going to be this injury and him going into the new system. So, no, there's they're not going to trade him. No one's going to even want to take him. Why would you want to take a guy that's coming off of one of the, the biggest injury of his entire sport sports career and he's he's undersized, and he hasn't proven that he can even do the job in the NFL. So no one's going to trade for him. We got fucked. Is Tallman contradicting himself right now? No, I oh, no. I'm just saying. Hey, I'm just putting out facts. Uh, this okay. So how I see it, he's under. You're right. He's underperformed. Yeah, he's undersized. But they're not going to sit there and say, "Oh, you came back for the last seven games of the season and you sucked and didn't try, so we're going to trade you." No, yeah, gonna, you do. They're going to go. Well, Bidwell's going to go. Well, we still owe him all this money, and oh, we got zero phone calls that are asking about him. Oh, do you want to trade him? No, they're, you know, yeah. he's he's in it for the long run with us. So. But if you can unload him for pennies on the dollar, if someone's willing to take that contract, like... Well, yes. You didn't throw that out there. I just don't think it's possible. I don't think it's not possible to get rid of that contract. Who's yeah. going to take that on? Yeah, it would be tough for anybody to try and invest in him right after this season. I think it would depend on how he looks from when he comes back from the injury, but... That's also a high contract. In the grand scheme of things of what quarterbacks are going to get, yeah, that's you can say that we did get a benefit of the doubt or the benefit of the deal, I guess, in that part. But what kind of player is he going to be? You know, He's a guy who's predicated on his legs and what he can do with that. And if he doesn't look the same and it looks like he lost a step from that ACL injury, you lose all your value that you can get from there. So what it sounds like is that Tallman wants the Cardinals to stay put at the third pick and draft Anthony Richardson, right? Tallman, that's what it sounds like. You want Anthony Richardson, huh? No, that just doesn't make sense. Do I, <laughs> do I as a Cardinals fan, because guys, we're sitting here talking about a team 
that ESPN came out with power uh, with the power rankings. We're number thirty two. We're Let's talking go. about we're talking about oh man, uh, what the the biggest sports news whatever shit in America thinks we're the worst team in the NFL right now, and mainly that's probably because of our lack of action and free agency, which I'm sure that's what it is. But we're probably arguably the worst team on paper right now going into this 2023 season. So as a fan, do I, do I want something to look forward to for the season? Cause right now I have zero to look forward to. Oh, I can't wait for week one when Colt McCoy rolls out there and we lose by fucking 21 points. Dude, I'm going to have a panic attack if that's truly the way that they go. And they're going to be like, yeah. Colt McCoy well, is the guy for the first seven like, weeks. Sign like, somebody, man. Even Baker Mayfield. Throw Why a little, haven't they? Throw Why a little haven't they done that? You on the fire. I don't know. This team is making me want to so, beat my head against the fucking yeah. wall. Like this Austin Fort Gannon era is not off to a good yeah, start. So the only reason I can think they haven't signed or brought in a quarterback from outside, because how do you sit there and go, oh, you're a new coach for this team, and you go, hey, oh, David Blau might be the guy. You know, we saw him play two blah, blah. two pointless games, and all he and he didn't even look that great. Oh, we were all wowed because he threw the ball down the field, which <laughs> we never did. Oh, my God, David Blau didn't do a screen pass every other play. That's incredible. I wonder what happened there. But for them to sit there and think those two guys are going to be okay, the only reason I can believe that that thinking in their minds is okay is because they think Kyler Murray is going to be back sooner than what has been mm. reported. So they yep. think, oh, maybe uh, Kyler's back week five, and we just need these two guys or one guy, probably Colt McCoy, to get us through the first four games. Maybe we can go two and two or one and three and our season's not over. That's the only reason I can think because you can't sit there as a businessman being Michael Bidwell and saying, this is great. We're go- we're going to sell so many tickets and make so much money with David Blau as our quarterback. You know, they got to know something that we don't know. So that's that's the only reason why. Well, why wouldn't you sign a quarterback that would make you competitive right now? Well, from Bidwell's perspective, like you pointed out earlier, Somewhat he's not worried about selling that, out the back. games because he's eight eight games a season. He's going to sell out all of them regardless because there's plenty of Rams fans that are going to want to buy tickets. There's plenty of Chargers fans that were going to like name, you name it. Whoever we're playing, their fans that live here in Arizona are going to pay to go watch them at State Farm Stadium no matter what. And that's why it feels like an away game when we're playing at home and probably a large reason why we suck so much ass playing at home. Home. I just I think there's more questions than answers right now and a lot of us are left scratching our heads when it comes to these offseason moves and the outlook of what we're we're seeing here and when Jonathan Gannon plays dumb and acts like he doesn't hear things or he's not releasing the playbook it's not building a lot of confidence in the fan base or acting like DeAndre Hopkins is really going to be a part of this unit or that next year I mean come on man I know it's for optics but you know, him coming out and saying, well, I'm going into it as, you know, the thought that he's going to be the X receiver. Like, like he's never talking Like, about, he's never dude? had a conversation with Monty Austin yeah. Ford. He's going to be our X receiver, for like, sure. Like, the guy is halfway out the door already. It's not like he's even here training at all. Like, he's in Texas. He's freaking gone. He's doing his real estate stuff. Like, DeAndre yeah. Hopkins will not be a part of this team next year. And if you keep him on the roster, I wouldn't be surprised if he holds out and is one of those guys. He just strikes me as one of those guys. Like they've already had discussions about this. So for him to come out to the national or to the Arizona media and just play dumb like what you've been saying, Chris, it's just a bad look overall. I'd rather him go out and say we're looking at options, we're trying to find the best solutions. 
to move forward as a unit instead of being like, yeah, he might be our best receiver next year. So do you let um, him go for a fifth round pick? At this point, at, dude, get him point, out the door, oh, man. Oh, I disagree. Goodbye. Get him out Fully the with fucking you guys. door, man. No, 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 no. No, like... No, he's too good of a talent. You cannot. I don't care let him about the talent at this round. point, no. especially with what this he's, roster has been made. How did that to work be? for us last he's, year? He's what under contract. No, because they're just blowing smoke up the Cardinals' ass right now. They're trying to just fuck with the Cardinals right now, saying, you know, oh well, because this and that, and his suspension, and he's kind of old. He's only worth a fifth round pick. So that's the only offers that they're getting right now. So what Monty Osafor needs to do is he needs to go. You know, nope, it's fine. Nope. We're just going to keep him then. And yes, he's going to hold out. But who gives a shit? You're not paying anybody else money. Listen to what you're no, saying. No, listen, listen. No, someone's going to come Someone's going to come by and say, you know what, Cardinals? We'll give you a third-round pick. We'll give you a, what you want. That's what they need to do. They at least need to try to do that. If they let Hopkins go for a fifth-round pick, I will be pissed. Hopkins isn't a 26-year-old receiver in his prime. He's a you give, We traded a first-round pick for Hollywood Brown. We just have to start looking forward. For Fifth round pick. What happened trash. in the past happened in the past. We already know that whole regime didn't know what the hell was going on. That's There's a reason they're not here anymore. But sometimes you just have to clean house and reset and restart and set your own examples here. Where it's like DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, we traded what? A couple of two second round picks for or David Johnson, D- David Johnson, David Johnson, who is completely out remember. of the league, yeah. not even garbage. Even when he went to Houston, oh, he that was, was worthless. Like that was a highlight. Of we Steve still Penn's won career. the trade, right? We Absolutely. got some good production out of DeAndre Hopkins, but it's time to yeah. move forward. He's already like he was already getting into it with Kyler Murray on the sideline. He was already missing huge pieces of this season to start when this was supposed to be the year that we took the NFC West. He's already had injuries to end the past two seasons, which have set him out. Like, And if we're talking about a team that's going to be a bottom feeder and the worst team in the NFL, why don't you just dive headfirst in it and not even give him opportunities to maybe win some games for the Cardinals? Just go freaking 1-15. and 15. Like... Uh, at this point, with everything that's happened with this team, man, this, it is bottom barrel expectations. I hope they win four games this year, man. But if they don't, are you surprised with what has happened? No. Then try and rebuild through the draft next year. Get a number one or first overall pick, two, top top at every level, at every round. Start rebuilding Maybe start gaining some notoriety from Jonathan Gannon as a good guy in the locker room and Monty Ossifort start pulling some random things or some magical moves and that kind of stuff. And then go from there. Uh, Having DeAndre Hopkins right now doesn't do anything for you, man. No. We already saw what happened when he was with Colt McCoy last year. It was fat L's all the time. Tom, and I, I hear what you're saying. I got a rebuttal, so go ahead. Uh, but I, real quick, I hear what you're saying because on paper, right, DeAndre Hopkins is still a really, really good top 10, top 10 receiver. Yeah, receiver. Of course. But this higher isn't, t- higher, this isn't yeah, NFL Madden 23. This is real fucking life. <laughs> and at this point, DeAndre Hopkins is a cancer in the locker room. And you're talking about him holding out? Fuck that. I would much rather have a fifth round draft pick than a guy who's going to hold out and be a nuisance to my team. I'm with you on that. A nuisance to your team that's going to win three games. Right. But but no, so my whole reasoning for that whole part was 
you so okay so you're every this happens every single year when it's a month before the draft all these teams go oh our draft picks are so valuable oh but if it's uh if it's 10 months away i'll give you whatever the hell you want right so they're just they're getting low-balled right. like crazy right now so when they when the the best offer you get is a fifth round pick or maybe it's a fifth and a sixth you go no no thank you we're just going to keep them and then you're going into training camp and someone goes another team that has an actual chance to win goes shit we'd really like him to be our number two receiver next to a Stefan Diggs, or maybe he's number one in Kansas City. And they go, you know what, let's let's go for it. So then they come up to Cardinals, go, hey, yeah, we'll give you a, a third round pick for him. And the Cardinals go, sold, he's yours. That's what I'm saying. So when you come up to the draft, everyone, because it's right in front of you, you, you have all these picks and all these shiny pieces that you get to choose from of, you know, prospects. So you don't want to give up them or you think they're more valuable. You don't want to give them up or you think they're more valuable than they are. So that's why they need to hold on to them. If it's only a fifth-round pick and you need to hold on to him until he's not going to report to on April 11th. We already know that. He's not going to show up to the offseason program. So you're saying we should trade up for C.J. Stroud? <laughs> I, hey, from a fan perspective, I already told you. You already said Anthony Richardson. I said that would be really interesting. No, dude, we're tanking for um, Marvin Harrison Jr. That's there what we we're go. doing. Okay. But no, so I'm. That's what I'm saying. You need to hold on to that because he's an asset, right? And you need to get as much as you possibly can he's in return. Ass. You got that right. Well, <laughs> yes, he is. And shit, I got his. I bought his goddamn jersey. Why did I do that? <laughs> you that seem dumb. to do that a lot, man. Whatever. Just, oh, per, football get a jerseys personalized are, jersey or something. Football jerseys should. are a horrible investment. They the really are. They really go. are. No, and Tolman, you're. You're exactly right, right? We're prisoner of the moment. We've been hearing that DeAndre Hopkins has been basically out for a couple of months now, and it hasn't happened, so we're sitting here thinking, well, why hasn't it happened? It's exactly like you're saying. It's because the Cardinals are getting lowballed. They don't have any of the leverage right now. I understand that. I understand that. I wouldn't be surprised if it maybe ends up being something on draft day with a trade. Maybe that will be when one of those teams triggers that third-round pick or whatever. I get that. My biggest thing is Jonathan Gannon coming out and just acting like he is really going to be part of this unit next year. He like, had to, man. Well, no. I you don't, don't. That's bullshit. You, it's lip you, service, man. Know, he had to say that. I need real. I need real. He had to say that because nothing's concrete. Why did he have to say that? Explain to me why he had to say that. Because he's not the general manager. He doesn't make those choices. But he's acting like he's he never had a conversation with Monty Austin forever. Yeah. Does he not talk to Monty? Do no, they stay at complete yeah, opposite ends of the but facility? It's, but it's not his business. And then if he comes out and says, oh, he's going to be traded, he's not a part of this team next year, then that shoots the Cardinals in the He doesn't have to do that. Time. Mike already gave him the well, answer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You come out and you say, this team is currently under evaluation. We're still working through the free agency period. We're obviously seeing what we have with draft ca- draft capital, so our roster is ever changing. You can give a non answer. You don't have to answer. say DeAndre I, I, Hopkins I is it. my ex receiver when we but know he's not. We know that, but you 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 can't go out there and say he's not going to be a part of the team. You don't so have you to. Don't, I'm saying you yeah, don't because have to. Hopkins, you don't say that but, he's not going to be a part Hopkins, of the team, but you don't say that he's my number one receiver. Dude, he's new to it, man. What do you expect? Well, but Hopkins start. hasn't even, right. Hopkins hasn't even right. come out and set. He hasn't even requested a trade yet. You know, so you can't go out there and say anything that alludes to them 
him not being on the team or him being on the trade block and he can't come back, he has to go. You dance around and that's why you they're dance around the question, man. You dance around the question is all I'm saying. You don't come out and say he is still like our guy. Yeah, he's on the roster. I get it. But we all know what's the inevitability here. And here's the other matter of the fact. Like, I don't really know DeAndre Hopkins on a personal level. I've just seen what happened in Hard Knocks or like interviews and this kind of stuff. Do you think that he was part of the cancer within the locker room? Yes. Because I wouldn't be surprised if he was. Well, he's too good to practice. A contributing factor to that. Too good to practice. So we're already talking about we got the top guys out that were the the damaging factor with Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury. You need to start pulling all those little tumors out as well. And one of those has got to be DeAndre Hopkins. And I know that we've already talked about I've given him his flowers. I've given him his praise. I'm very appreciative of the time that he was on the Cardinals and, and that he spent. But it's time to move on. And it's time to not act like just doing the, the right lip service and saying, well, he's on a roster, so he's our guy still. He's part. I'm planning to move forward with him. No, just answer on the question, my guy, and say we're, we're working on figuring out what this roster is. And that should be sufficing enough so, to everybody. So say even of a say even more generic response. Exactly. Then then throwing him praise and saying he's going to be my top guy. Yeah. Yeah. I no, I, I get like, it. I don't but want it because he's not going to be here. I don't know. Yeah. And my, it, was it stupid? It was totally just like him saying he doesn't. He won't give the playbook to his it, quarterbacks yet. Yeah. It's dumb. It's he a said bad, some stupid. It's a shit. bad look. Gannon yeah. is not off to a great start. He he's had moments where I've been like, yeah, maybe this guy, but overall, no. And to your point. Mike about him being potentially cancer in the locker room DeAndre Hopkins especially through hard knocks has come across as a guy who cares way more about his individual stats and his future hall of fame uh, candidacy more than winning games and the team that he's on right now so if I'm Monty Austin for if I'm Jonathan Gannon I'm having those conversations of and operating under the assumption of DeAndre Hopkins is not a cardinal next season and whether it's Holding out until we can trade him or trading him, that's yet to be seen. But one thing is for sure, from my perspective, I am so fucking sick of the Cardinals being the laughing stock of the league, the conference, whatever you want to say. It's time to turn this ship around, and it's going to be interesting. I know we can all take a deep breath here. We're going to wrap this up here. Um, I want to keep having these conversations. Can you believe we're 10 and 2? Like what? Two years ago, we're ten. And no, two. it seems like wow. It seems like <laughs> ten years ago. Oh my goodness! What happened after the ten and two? Didn't DeAndre Hopkins get hurt? Yeah, he got hurt before yeah. the ten. He, he got, got hurt, hurt or suspended. He got hurt. And we were se- no. He got hurt. Well, I was at that game. We were seven and zero. Oh. We played uh, the Packers, Packers on Thursday night football. He got hurt in that game. We lost that game because um, AJ Green couldn't turn around. He didn't oh turn around. yeah, um, remember so that. So we were seven and one, but then we. Uh, End up going ten and two after the seven and one, man. Just w- without him, I love. I love that we're speaking passionately. Passionately on this, it means we care. We obviously want to see the Cardinals do well, but it's just the path that we have to take to get there. And I personally am so disappointed with how this offseason has gone, and just we're automatically throwing in the towel just because Kyler Murray's <laughs> starting the season injured. Uh, But guys, it's getting late here on this Thursday night. We're at about an hour, 40 minutes into this podcast. I think a little longer than we anticipated, but 
Uh, Michael Benjamin, first I'll pass it to you. Is there anything else you wanted to say or get off your chest before we get out of here? No, man. Excited to see what's going on with the Diamondbacks this year. Obviously, this one has shifted on opening day. We are now down 7-2, to but Fuck. that's all right. Uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> figure it out from there. Uh, excited to get the NFL draft up. We'll see what happens with the Cardinals if they do move down. Uh, I know Tallman was saying he expects them to. I'm honestly probably on the same page. Add some more draft capital couldn't hurt. I really do hope that they end up getting Will Anderson, though. So we'll see what happens with that. Suns playoff run. You know, we're going to have a PTO with a playoff preview and all that good stuff. So we're hitting you with a whole bunch of content. Make sure you stay tuned. And, man, we squeaked in the March one right at the last minute. So (laughs) appreciate you guys, as always. Yeah, no, 100%. Like Mike said, it might be at the last minute, but we're getting one of you, we're getting you one of these heat check podcasts every month. We did it in 2022. We'll do it here in 2023. You can also catch us on our YouTube channel. Just search Valley Sports Plug on Google and you'll find all of our shit. But Tallman, I'll give you the floor. What do you got? Yeah. Um, last thoughts DeAndre Hopkins is going to be our ex receiver. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, opening day. Let's go. Baseball's back. Keep an eye out for that Tallman ticket if you want to lose some money. Let's go. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Hell yeah. I'm excited for the baseball Tallman ticket to see what that looks like. But yeah, Suns, Suns playoff run, I think, is what I'm most excited for. We cannot have a repeat of last year where we just fall flat on our face and end up getting bounced out in an embarrassing fashion. We got Kevin Durant now, man. And so as long as he's healthy, as long as him and Booker are healthy, those two guys, I think we have a shot of making a deep run. And I'm going to say it right here, right now. I'm predicting Celtics Suns in the finals. Ooh. So All right, takes. I like that. We'll see. So just because of how Giannis got dicked down. Oh, today. dude, they embarrassed Milwaukee, <laughs> and they had way more of a bench presence. And the Celtics only had three players available on their bench, and they still waxed them by I think thirty plus points by the end of that 41. game. Forty-one. Forty-one was one forty to ninety-nine. Holy shit! So you're bringing it back to nineteen seventy-six with Gar Hurd. Sure. It's when the Suns played the Celtics in the NBA Finals. You're showing your age over there, Michael. Hey, for all you guys listening, if you just learned one thing, at least you said that you learned one thing. So. That's what it's all about. Appreciate Absolutely. All and if you made it to the end of this podcast, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you continue to tune in so you can stay up to date on what we're thinking and everything going on with Arizona sports. But for Michael Benjamin and BSP Tallman, I'm Chris Patrick, and we will see you next time. Peace.